I titled the sermon, King of the Nations, Psalm chapter 2. And uh, what's uh, fascinating about this psalm is that uh, it's, a, it's a prophetic psalm. David wrote this psalm. We learn this in the New Testament, actually, as the early church attributes this psalm to David. Um, and I'll, I'll point you there in Acts 4 in a little bit. But this is a prophetic psalm that David wrote, and I don't think, as he was writing it, that he even understood it. I don't think he knew what it all meant. How could he? This is an anticipation psalm of New Testament realization, and it's, it's realized in Christ. So David is writing words that he doesn't fully understand, but is delighting and glorying in as he writes these words. And uh, I would say this, the prophecy of this psalm has been fulfilled in part and will someday be fulfilled completely when our king returns and establishes his throne. So um, let's dig into this. And, you know, I was thinking about this psalm in connection to a lot of the things we see happening on the world stage. The raging of the nations, the tumult of the peoples, the, the kings plotting together, uh, mandates, overreach, all of this. I, I just I was feeling this, and as I thought about it, this psalm came to mind, and I thought, you know what? I think this would be helpful for us today to spend some time praising our king. I just want to say this up front. If you're a Christian, you have a king. You're not, you're, it's not that you will have a king. You have a king today. He rules and he reigns. He is seated on his throne at the right hand of the Father. He is the sovereign in this world. There is great confidence and joy that we can draw from that reminder. So let's dig into this. I want to begin in verses 1 through 3 here with the rage of the nations. You can track along in your bulletin on the back. There's some sermon notes to, to track along and, and uh, write some stuff down. The rage of the nations, verses 1 through 3. David writes, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the part I'm sure that David was like, okay, the Messiah, you know, see how that works? This is what the nations say. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Hmm. Now, friends, we've seen this. We've seen this in fires burning on the news. In Kenosha, Wisconsin, we've seen this. We've seen this all over the world, though, as well. We've witnessed the raging of the nations, the plotting of the rulers, the coming together, the shaking. Uh, We witnessed this as as Putin masses troops on the border of Ukraine, 100,000 troops. What are they doing there? Well, we don't know. Plotting, planning. Ultimately, all sin is against the Lord. All power mongering and wielding of power for dark and evil purposes is that which is done against the Lord and His anointed. The reality is is that world leaders who are not saved are set against the Lord and His anointed, but they also represent nations filled with people who similarly have hearts bent 
hating God, defying God, hostile to God, rejecting God, running in rebellion against the God who is. Hmm. This shows itself in a thousand different ways every day. We see it very clearly in our day, probably more clearly than than in recent years. Certainly, uh, I think back to biblical times and there were horrific displays of sin and in Sodom and Gomorrah and various places, but we have this return to those days, it feels like, going on. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. What a fascinating thing this is. What does this look like? Well, it's not hard to imagine what this may look like. You say, I don't like the fact that God only made two genders. Male and female. So what we're going to do is we're going to burst their bonds apart and cast away that restraint from us and we're going to create an endless number of genders. And then we're going to move fluidly through each one on any given day on whatever whim we have. This is who I am. I will determine who I am, not you. Isn't that interesting? Burst their bonds apart. Cast away their cords from us. We're going to determine what is good and what is evil. We, are, we will decide. We will be the arbiters of truth. Not you, God. We will call evil good. And we will call good evil. We will call murder convenience. And on and on. Oh, the freedom that this buys is the freedom a parachuter feels when he's falling and decides to cut away the cords from him. This is a suicidal freedom. Imagine a group of parachuters falling all together in unison saying, hey, come on together. Let's join together and cast off our cords. We'll work together and cut these crazy cords that constrain us loose. We want a free fall together. That is the nature of rebellion, resentment, hatred, animosity, opposition to the Lord and His rule and His reign and His King. Left to ourselves, we all do this, friends. We all do this. We choose rebellion. It is at the heart of every sinner and it will lead us to the fires of hell unless God steps in. We are all of us together in the fall. And on the way down, we're working hard to cut away the common grace of God. His grace that would say, no, that's not a good idea. That will not lead to human flourishing. That is sinful and wrong. That is detestable and abhorrent. We say, no, that's restraining. It's, 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 it's fun. It's what we want. And the enemy laughs all the way as we plummet to our destruction. Hmm. Listen to Acts 4 as they give a commentary on this psalm. Here's the, one thing you can always do in the, in the Bible. If you want to interpret a psalm or an Old Testament passage, look for the interpretation in the New. And if they quote it, you've got it. And It's not just an interpretation. It is the handling authoritatively of the Old Testament hand, uh, passage. So look at how they quote Psalm 2. 
This is the prayers of the early church. When they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, here it is, they're attributing David authorship, otherwise we might not know who wrote this psalm. There's no title. Your servant said, by the Holy Spirit, here's Psalm 2, this is where, where it goes. Why do the Gentiles rage, or the nations rage, and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Almost verbatim quote here. Look at the way they place this psalm. Look at the context that they place this. Let me go on. For truly in this city, that's Jerusalem, were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, all those who chanted, crucify, crucify. What's amazing about this is the union of these, these, these various groups. They have come together in unity to accomplish their opposition to God and His anointed. United in opposition and rebellion against Christ. These were normally enemies. Herod and Pilate getting along together, plotting together. You just don't see that. But when it came to Jesus, best friends. We got all things in common now. What should we do? Take him down. And the Jews and the Gentiles all together united in imposing the sinless one, the Messiah, the Savior. Listen to how this goes. Vain plotting, vain planning, vain rebellion. Let's, let's not miss that word. They do this in vain, okay? That word vain, it's pointless. It, it's not going to work. Why do they rage and why do they plot in vain? It's all in vain. Why is it in vain? Well, watch how this works out. They were all gathered together, Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. <laughs> so here they gather together in unity. Let's take him out. Let's kill him. Yes, that'll solve our problem. That'll put him down. We'll address it. We'll, we'll squash this whole Jesus thing, this whole Messiah thing. We will keep our power. We'll kill him. And God says, you're doing exactly what I planned long ago. Not just planned. Assigned destiny to beforehand this was my plan and I am allowing you to run with hardness of heart in anger and resentment and opposition in vain to do what I planned all along and in killing the son you accomplish my set forth purpose from of old the high point of revelation in redemption is the murder of the sinless savior on a cross, at the hands of sinful men. God is sovereign such that He can ordain, predestine, and even in their sin accomplish His good purpose. Only a God so great as ours could do such a thing. 
That's why it's in vain. It's in vain. They rage in vain. Let's go on and see the response of the Lord. This is a psalm that has the gospel in view. I don't think David could have known this. How amazing the gospel shines in this moment in Psalm chapter two, uh, Psalm 2, 1 through 12. So the response of the Lord, verses 4 through 6. He who sits in the heavens laughs. They rage, the Father laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my King on Zion, my holy hill. I've put Him there. I was struck by this. He, he's seated in the heavens. Okay? Now, I want you to picture <clears throat> you're the nations, okay? All right, let's, let's try this out. You're the nations, and, and, and I, I, I even hesitate to pretend this way. Let's pretend, really clear, that I'm the Father. I, I need, a, I need a, a chair to sit on here. I'll use Larry's. Okay. So, here you have the raging of the nations. Now, you guys need to figure out what that sounds like. Okay? The nations are raging. On three, okay? Shouting, yelling, whatever. Are you ready? Kids, you ready? On three, we're going to rage. Okay? Rage! One, two, three. Keep going, rage. He's seated. That struck me. He who is seated in the heavens, laughs. Now, if you, (laughs) let's just say that you were actually raging and you were angry and hostile and ready to take me down, I would have a hard time sitting down. I I would would be like, you know, pacing or, or, or getting ready to like jump through my office and run for my life. Or if I feel threatened, I have a hard time sitting down. The raging of the nations, the tumult of the peoples, their anger and hostility, they're coming together to plot against God. Is that threatening to God in the slightest? I'm trying to think of an illustration of what this threat might look like. Let's say a couple of ants got together and decided to take you out. And you happen to be wearing your size 13 work boots. <laughs> and you look down and you hear, <laughs> you know, there you, you, can, you picture it. They're, they're really angry. And you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and you just walk on. I mean, you squash them. That's about as much threat as God feels. There is no threat here to God. All the nations could rage all together at once like they will at Armageddon. They're going to bring their armies. They're going to march on the battlefield. And God isn't in the slightest threatened or concerned. Friends, that to us is comfort. Because I don't feel that when the nations rage always. I pace a bit. I have a hard time staying seated but not God. He's seated in the heavens. Not only that, he laughs. 
He laughs and holds them in derision. Uh, this word is, is, is amazing. He mocks their threats. Like, really? A couple of ants? You're going to take me down? You, got, you better keep building your army. You're going to need more tanks than that. You know, like, he, he's so unthreatened by it, it's funny. There's a laugh that comes. Now, it's not just a laugh. It's not just a passive, oh, look at that. There, there. No, it's active. It's more than a laugh because it says he moves against them with wrath and fury. So when the nations rage and they plot in vain, who should feel threatened? God or the nations that plot against him? The nations, the godless, those who hate God are hurting themselves by their raging, by their plotting. God is not hurt, not in the slightest, not even when his son is killed. This is according to plan. This pain was ordained. This suffering was the plan of old from the beginning, predestined. As for me, I have set. That word set is big. I have set. I've enthroned. I have placed my king on my mountain. That's Jerusalem. He is there by my hand, and he is not in the slightest bit unsure of how he will lead and rule and win this fight. What a confident statement of our Father. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are very much in view here. I have placed him. I have enthroned him. How did he do that? He did it through the most unexpected and unlikely plan. That was that he would send his son to suffer and die on a Roman cross at the hands of sinful men and after three days rise victoriously accomplishing salvation for the very hands that killed him, the very sinners who despise him, saving to the ends of the earth. The reign of the sun now, the reign of the sun, verses 7 through 9. This is spectacular, just amazing verses here. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. So here we have a pre-incarnate Christ speaking these words, telling of the decree of the Father, that decree which is never threatened or in the slight bit, uh, in the slight bit unfinished, right? I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, your inheritance, and the ends of the earth, your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now what is taking place here? What do we see in view here? You are my son, today I have begotten you. When we say in John 3.16, his only begotten son, right? What do, we, what do we mean by this? Well, don't ever suggest that Jesus was created or had a beginning the incarnation was not the beginning of the Son. That's heresy. It's heresy. The beginning of the Son doesn't exist. He has eternally existed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So let me just say it this way. The Son, Jesus is the Son in three ways. 
in three ways. I love uncle, my uncle Bruce uh, taught this so, so clearly, so well. Number one, he is the son in his eternal sonship to the Father. He is the son and has always been the son. He is the begotten of God, as it were, eternally. Number two, Jesus is the son in his incarnation. That is the Christmas story that we're about to celebrate. His birth. He is the son in that he is the God-man. He took on human flesh and was born of a virgin. He's the son of Mary and the son of God. But number three, Jesus is the son. I think this is what's in view here. Jesus is the Son in that He is the raised, exalted, and enthroned Son of David, the King and Judge of the nations. There was something spectacular that happened in His humiliation as He came down as a servant to suffer and die at the hands of sinful men and redeem sinners in His work. But upon His resurrection, there was exaltation. The Lord therefore also highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, right? When he says in Matthew 28, uh, verse 18, all authority has been given to me, that's the sonship he's speaking of. That bestowing of exaltation, it is that begottenness that that we are referencing in this psalm. Requesting the nations from the Father. The question then begs, when Jesus arrived on earth, did He have the nations? Did He have them? The answer, according to this, is no. He did not have them. Now, He had them in the sense that He made them. He is the creator of all nations, right? He owns all things, but He doesn't have them in the sense that His work was yet done. Who has them when the incarnation occurs? Satan. Satan has them. The prince of the power of the air. The one who has held sinners captive. And Jesus has come now to accomplish their salvation. And so this is an amazing statement. He is to request of the Father, and the Father will give to the Son an inheritance of nations. Ask of me, Jesus, ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance to the ends and the ends of the earth your possession. How does he do it? Through his work. He does it through the the sacrifice of his own body. His blood shed for the redemption of some from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And his burial, which we're going to see in baptism today, as people are placed under the water, they're saying, by faith I identify with Christ in his death for me and in his resurrection, proving that it is finished. The payment is made in full. All whom the Father gives to the Son will be raised in glory. Now, if you have that as a backdrop and you understand this exchange that's taking place, which, by the way, was ordained from of old, this verse makes more sense. When Jesus says in John 6, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Do you see the exchange taking place? Ask of me and I will give you an inheritance of nations. And then Jesus says in another place, John 6, every single person that the Father has given to me 
will be saved. Every single one. And whoever comes gives evidence that they were given to me by the Father. And when they come, they will be saved. And I will raise them up on the last day, he goes on to say a couple verses later. This is an amazing gift. This is unit. We're seen into the Trinity in spectacular ways. The Father and His love for the Son. The Son's joyful submission and obedience to the Father accomplishing the work of salvation. And, by the way, judgment. Because only those who come to the Son are saved. And those who come are those that the Father has given to the Son. Those who don't come, they rail against Him still. They rage and they will meet what they deserve, which is eternal justice and wrath. At whose hand? The hand of the king, the judge. He will dash them to pieces. So it's not just the redemption of God's elect, but it's also in this resurrection and enthronement, it is the judgment of all who reject the Son as well. It is an amazing thing, the difference maker, that Jesus is. Where do you stand with him today? Where, where are you with this, this king? Is he for you life and hope and joy and everything? Or is he for you a problem, an annoyance, one that you hate, one that you seek to cast off and escape? That is the difference between heaven and hell. Now, repentance or wrath, this psalm ends with spectacular grace. I love it. Grace, yes, in the Old Testament. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Repentance or wrath, verses 10 to 12. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all, all who take refuge in him. I think you could call this the grace of warning. The grace of warning. Sometimes people, they recoil when they hear the warnings of Scripture. Repent or you will burn in the fires of hell. That, that, that sometimes pulls back people. Oh, that's, that's offensive. No, friends, that is love. That is the grace of God to warn us of impending judgment and doom. Like a parent would shout to a child running toward a street with a Mack truck barreling down the road, stop, turn, don't run out there. You will die. This is love. Receive it that way, friends. Don't recoil. Receive the love of a God who cares enough about the likes of us rebels and sinners to warn us of His wrath. Repent and bow. Draw near. Pay homage to the King of kings. Kiss the Son, it says, lest you perish. Serve Him in fear. What a fascinating display there with trembling, rejoice in awe of His sovereign majesty. Find refuge under His Lordship. These are beautiful, beautiful words, friends. 
they describe believers. That is the disposition of a heart that is in love with Christ. A heart that says, you are my king, lead the way. I'm yours. You ransomed me all undeserving, nothing in me that was deserving of that. You saved me. You are my Lord, my King, my, my Savior, my treasure. You're everything to me. Lead on. That is not the heart of one who hates the King. The question must be asked, where is your heart today? What's the disposition of your life? Is it set against this King or is it in love, in union, in joyful connection and relationship with the sovereign King of Kings. If you go on despising, friend, oh, if you go on raging, plotting, if you go on rebelling against Jesus, well, there will be hell to pay. And I don't say those words lightly. I I want you to hear from the bottom of my heart We don't want anyone to go to hell. It's a real place. It is a real place. Today, there are people who suffer under the wrath of God who lived their lives like this and perished in their sins. John 3.16 That whoever believes in Him shall not perish. That's what I'm talking about. This is loving warning, a call to repent Believe in Christ. Turn from your sins and run to Him or you will perish in the fires of hell. Hmm. Our response this morning, baptism stands out in our day, my friends. It always has, actually. It stands out because it displays for us what it looks like to see people who say, I can't save myself. I'm sick of raging. I'm sick of rebellion. I'm sick of resentment. I embrace Him. I want to kiss the Son. I want to bow before Him. I want to give my life totally to Him. He is my King, my Lord, my treasure. This should be a loudspeaker to you today, friend. And know this, young and old, right? from any nation and every nation. Hmm. Raging nations and rebellious hearts. So when you watch the news, don't allow the shaking of the tremors of the raging of the nations to unnerve you. Because there is a God who sits in the heavens and He laughs. There's no threat to this God. Be comforted. Praise the God who is undoubtedly in control, bringing to pass all as He has planned of old. Every single detail, both large and small. He's going to do it. Hmm. God our Father is seated in absolute sovereignty. Jesus our Savior is enthroned as King of the nations. That is today. Today. And come what may. It's going to get worse, way worse. We're studying through Revelation. Trust me, I mean, way worse. God is bringing it to pass as He has planned. 
There is only one refuge, only one. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the only refuge. For those who are going to be baptized, if you guys could head over to the office now, that would be awesome. I want to just close in prayer and then ask the question here as as those being baptized are, are heading out. Where do you stand with Jesus Christ? What's the disposition of your heart? Are you on your knees before this King? Or are you railing and raging with the nations against Him? Are you falling from the sky trying to rip the parachute of God's mercy and love and grace and warnings and cut that parachute off so that you can free fall to your death? Or are you willing to embrace His provision in Jesus Christ today and cling to it with everything that you are? These cords are for my good. They're my only hope. His name is Jesus. And He will save you today. Let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray that if there be anyone here in this room who has yet to trust You, to embrace You, to bow before You, and believe in you as Savior. I pray that today, even now, you would accomplish that. Stir hearts, open eyes. Cause dead men and women to come to life and and, and see Christ and run to Him with all their might. I thank you for your work in both Sarah and in Ty. It is clear and evident that you have saved these two from their sins. We delight in that work, O God, and we give praise to You. Thank You for Your mercy and grace on these two sinners. We thank You for Your mercy and grace on all the other sinners in this room who did not deserve to be saved. But You chose to love us even still, to change our heart, to open our eyes, and to cause us to run to Christ Father, thank You for giving us to Your Son. And Jesus, thank You for purchasing us from the dead and holding to us all the way home. We glorify You now in Jesus' name. Amen. Sarah, come on out and join me. Are you in there? All right. I've got your testimony here. I'm sure the water's going to be nice and warm. This is Sarah Hammett, and uh, she would like to stand in these waters today and, uh, and share a little bit with you. Let me get the microphone for you, Sarah. Awesome. Okay. I grew up in a Christian home and remember praying and asking Jesus to come into my heart when I was growing up. I remember actually being so excited to be As the years went on, however, I began to realize that I wasn't really living like a Christian, and in fact was living in sin and walking further from Christ with my actions and thoughts. The Lord began to convict me more and more as I tried to push this issue behind me and just tried to give it a Christian by praying and the Bible. A few years later, I joined a book study with some good friends, going through the book Speak the Truth in Your Heart by Sarah Mallon. A simple quote in it, hit me hard that particular day. It was, if we sin just ten times a day, 
we will have sinned over 10,000 times by the time we're 30. I started getting a deeper understanding of my sin and realization of what it meant that God was taking on all those sins, the ones I had already committed and the ones yet to come. That in that moment, on that cross before he died, the weight of all those sins were on him, and he gave his life for me, even though I 100% deserved death, as Romans 6.23 states. It was after that that I repented of my sin and recommitted my life to Christ. I put my trust in Christ's finished work on the cross and have faith that he has saved me. As Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, but as a gift of God, not by works so that no one can rest. I'm being baptized today in obedience to Christ and to share the testimony of God's grace and the power of salvation in Christ in my life. Amen. Amen. All right. Excellent testimony. So, Sarah, I just want to ask a question that we talked about earlier. Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Lord, uh, is he the treasure of your life and your hope alone in this life and the next? Okay. On the basis of your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death and raised to new life in him. All right. Praise God. Good job. Okay, Ty, come on up. This is Ty Spoolstra. And uh, to say he's excited about being baptized is an understatement. He is extremely excited about this moment. And uh, Ryan is here, his dad, and he's got a whole crew cheering him on. Look at these guys in the front row, man. That's awesome. And uh, he wrote a little thing up here. Ryan, are you going to read that for him? You want to do that? <laughs> this isn't word for word, but Ty, we shared it, or he shared a lot over the last week, and so we, we summed it up uh, with his approval. So, said, I learned about God from listening to my parents read the Bible, listening to stories they would tell me, and lots of other teachers in my life. I learned that God is the one true God. And he never lies. I believe that and felt God telling me to be baptized and to tell everyone that I believe God is my Savior. I chose John 3.16 because I believe God's promises are true. And this promise is true for me as well. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that anyone who believes in him shall not perish. Amen. Amen. Well, Ty, this is a day you're going to remember the rest of your life, man. A special day. Why don't you turn and have a seat? Okay. So you get to look at the cross as I ask you these questions. Now, we talked about this already, too. So let me just ask you one more time. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior, Lord, and treasure is he your hope alone in this life and the next? Okay. Because of your profession of faith, we now, you want to join me, Ryan? We now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death, and raised to new life in him. 
All right. <laughs>